Well, we are in a series in the book of Matthew. Encourage you to turn to Matthew 12 with me this morning. And we look at Matthew 12, starting in verse 15, down through verse 29. We've noted that Matthew's overall purpose in being the human author of this book is to show that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And that title, Messiah, is actually a Hebrew word, and it means anointed one. There's a Greek word that's the the equivalent to Messiah, and that is the word Christ, or Christos. So both Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They refer back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament where God told King David that one of his descendants would follow after him and would actually sit on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom that's marked by justice, by righteousness. And that that king would be known as the son of God. Matthew is showing that Jesus is that king. Jesus comes and presents himself to the nation of Israel, God's people, as their king. But Israel, as a nation, rejects him. And so here in chapters 11, 12, and 13, Matthew has recorded for us different examples of rejection. Of how the nation has rejected King Jesus. Next week we will talk about the very famous passage of the unpardonable sin. Today we find the background to that passage. And in it we see Jesus' authority. Last week in chapter 12 verses 1 through 14. We saw Jesus' authority over the Sabbath. If you remember... Jesus said in chapter 12, verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning that, that he, as the Messiah, as God himself, has the authority to make the Sabbath what he desires to make it. And ultimately, he is Lord over the entire Old Testament law and fulfills the law. Well, today, once again in chapter 12, verses 15 through 29, we see Jesus' authority. This time, authority over Satan. And in showing his authority over Satan, we also see that Jesus has authority to offer the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the kingdom, it's almost equivalent to what we would call heaven. We know from Revelation chapter 20 that when Jesus comes back, he will reign over that Davidic kingdom for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand year period of time, Satan will be released briefly. Satan will lead a mass revolt against Jesus Christ and will be put down and cast into hell forever and ever. And then all of God's people will reign for eternity in the kingdom. It'll be here on this earth. A new created earth 
There will be a massive fire after the end of that thousand years. And what we know right now will be transformed into something even more perfect. But we will reign here on earth in this kingdom. Heaven. I don't know about you, but when I was significantly younger, I didn't really want to think about heaven. I thought, I don't want to think about heaven. I I have too much I want to do now. I know I want to experience life. I want to do things. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to have I want to work. I don't want even to think about all of that. And yet as life continues, more and more we see that life is hard. It's interesting, today's Mother's Day, and if a little baby is born in the United States, chances are that baby will be born in a hospital with a highly trained and effective staff, the best of care with the best of equipment, most likely will be picked up in a vehicle that that baby's parents own and taken Home, most likely to a room that has been decorated in the appropriate colors for a boy or a girl with matching paraphernalia. At the same exact time that that baby is born, in other parts of the world, that baby could be born into the direst of circumstances and instead of having a nice house to live in very well could live in a little makeshift hut that is put together out of sheets of cardboard and plastic possibly with a two liter bottle in with a hole cut in the ceiling with a little water in it to act as a lamp during the day And the two babies born at the same exact moment will experience life in much different ways. Will have an entirely different worldview. And for those of us who had the good fortune of being born here in this place of great blessing. It's pretty common for us to have kind of this feeling like I don't want to think about eternity I'm kind of enjoying life but there's a lot of people the majority of people in the world who may not share that same perspective who have a deep desire in their hearts and their lives to actually see the wrong made right to see justice Finally prevail. To see so much that is broken. Healed. And what Jesus is offering to the nation Israel. Is justice. It's amending of that which is broken. It is right. And. The more we experience life and see brokenness and hurt, the more we too, even though we live in a place of blessing, 
can come to a point in our lives where we can say, the kingdom will be much better than we've ever experienced before. Jesus has the authority as the Messiah to say as he came, the kingdom has come upon you, Israel. They reject it, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, that kingdom will be established. Are we ready for the kingdom? Here Jesus, in chapter 12, verse 15 and following, is once again going to be rejected by Israel's leadership as their king and their king and his kingdom. I'm going to read these verses out loud. You follow along in your copy of the Bible. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fill, fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out. Until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon possessed man. Who was blind and mute. Was brought to Jesus and he healed him. So that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying. This man cannot be the son of David can he? But when the Pharisees heard this. They said this man casts out demons by Beelzebul. The ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts Jesus said to them. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. Now, how then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter into the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. The section begins with Jesus withdrawing. He's been rejected. And we're going to see that Jesus' response to rejection and his Healing people show that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah. In other words, Isaiah in chapter 42 through 53 prophesied that the Messiah would come, but not be like the Messiah that Israel is looking for right now. They're looking for a strong political leader. One who will rid them from Roman rule. But Isaiah said he'll be a servant. Isaiah said that he's actually going to be pierced through for our sin. And Matthew is saying this is he. 
This is the one that about whom Isaiah prophesied. We find the verse 15 beginning with a little word, but. If you look at verse 14 of Matthew 12, we saw that when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, immediately concluded, that's it. We are going to kill him. And they plotted to kill Jesus. But, verse 15, Jesus knew all of that and he withdrew from that area. And we say, we see here that even though he withdrew, crowds followed him. We know from Mark's account in Mark chapter 3 verses 7 through 12 that many of those who followed after Jesus were Gentiles. And so we find Jew and Gentile following Jesus. And it tells us here in verse 15, many followed him and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. Again, we've seen that before. Jesus knows that his going to the cross will be precipitated by a growing hatred on the part of the religious leaders. Jesus knows that that's according to the Father's timing, not according to the timing of the people around him. He said, just keep this quiet for now. Now, Matthew makes an interesting conclusion here. Notice it says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Both Jesus withdrawing and Jesus healing fulfills what Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 42. I'm just going to make a quick allusion to that section. In Isaiah 53 is the most famous passage of that section talking about the suffering servant. And I will read starting in verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. And the passage that Matthew quotes here is from chapter 42. But all that section from 42 through 53 is talking about Messiah. Referring to him as this servant. This suffering servant. The one who will be pierced through for the sin of humanity. And Matthew says what Jesus is doing is showing that he is that suffering servant. Notice it says... In verse 18 and verse 20. That he will bring in justice. And Jesus when the kingdom is established. Will make all things right. It tells us that he will come to the aid of those who are downtrodden. Those who are harassed. Who are helpless. It says in verse 20. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out. Jesus has already said in chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And Matthew sees in the person of Jesus Christ. 
the fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet wrote 800 years earlier. That Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He is the one who will make everything right. Last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, Barbara and I made a quick trip up to the cities, up to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And as we were driving into Minneapolis, we were on a freeway. I'm probably going 60, 65 miles an hour. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this flash of speed. This guy in this motorcycle went past us so fast, it was just like a blip. He had to be going over 100 miles an hour. I I had never been passed so fast in my life. I felt like I must have taken a wrong turn and I'm on the Autobahn. <laughs> and I remember saying to myself, where's justice? Some poor slob like me goes like six over and I get pulled over. And then this dude's going like 100 plus right in the city. Nothing. I just so wanted to see him pulled over by a police officer like 10 miles down the road. But nothing. Where's justice? And you know, that's a legitimate question. Where is justice? And there will be a time when Jesus Christ returns to earth And sets up his kingdom. That we will definitely find. Justice. Broken relationships will be healed. There will be no more illness. Death will be completely overcome. And Jesus Christ will make all things right. And while sometimes it's hard for us to maybe try to fathom why would I want eternity to come? I know in the depths of my heart once I get there it will be so much better than what I've ever experienced here. And Jesus is showing that he is the one who is the source of this rightness, this justice. He is the one. And Matthew recognizes it. Matthew is saying he's the one that is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And that strengthens my faith. When I, Whenever we've looked at this so much in Matthew... But when we see the Old Testament, many passages written 800, 700 years plus before Jesus. And then Matthew shows how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of those passages. It just affirms my faith once again and reminds me this is God's word. I was with a guy I just met for the first time a couple days ago. And the first thing he said to me was, you're the preacher. I said, yeah. And then he said, the next thing out of his mouth was, 
evangelicals. And then he said, you believe the Bible, I don't. There's much more of a story there than what I know, but that's kind of how he summed me up. And you know what? Yes, I do believe the Bible. And every time we see fulfill, scripture fulfilled in the unity of scripture, how it all ties together by the spirit of God, bringing it all together, it reminds us that this is God's word, that we can have confidence in it. And Jesus here is being shown by Matthew that he is God's son, that he is Messiah, that he is the one that's going to make everything right again. Now, as the section continues, we see Jesus showing these religious leaders his authority. He's going to get in kind of a back and forth little bit of a argument with them. But he comes out the victor. And what happens here in verses 22 through 29 is that Jesus is once again going to do a great miraculous work. We see in verse 22 there's this demon possessed guy. And it tells us that he's blind and he also cannot speak. And it tells us in verse 22, a hit, a demon possessed man who is blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. Think about that. Think about being that guy's neighbor, that guy's friend. And you know that this is real. That this guy has not, he's been blind. He has not been able to speak for a long time. And all of a sudden, Jesus heals him. Now I suppose there could be somebody say, ah, it was a fake. Neighbors are going to know that wasn't fake. His family's going to know it wasn't fake. In fact, the Pharisees even realize it's not fake. They could not deny that Jesus Heal this man. So instead of trying to deny that they healed him, they accuse him of doing it by Satan's power. That's the depth of their rejection to the person of Jesus Christ. It's like, well, we can't deny that he's doing these things, so let's attack how he's doing these things. We'll just say he's doing it by Satan's power. And Jesus is going to show that he has authority over Satan. He's going to demonstrate his authority over Satan. Verse 22. Then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. And he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? And just in that question, what they're saying is, could he really be Messiah? They're talking about 2 Samuel 7. They're saying, is he really the one? Because we're expecting someone that will bring us out from underneath Roman rule. It's been so unjust. We want justice and we want it now. This man, he's 
peaceful and he's meek and he's gentle. Could this be the one? But when the Pharisees heard what he did, this is what they did. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus, excuse me, they said, verse 24, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul. And Matthew tells us who Beelzebul is within the, the echelon of demons. It says he's the ruler of the demons. This, he's saying that Jesus is doing this by the empowerment of Satan. And Jesus knows what they're saying. And he says, think about it. Here's a general principle, verse 25. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. If, if, if you have a kingdom, if you have even a, a home, if it is battling against itself, it's going to just be destroyed. So then Jesus concludes in verse 26. So think about it. If Satan is attacking Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul, verse 27, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So evidently, some of the Pharisees and some of Israel's religious leaders also have practice casting out demons. Jesus here actually successfully does it. And so he's saying, if I've had so much success, and you're saying I'm doing it by the power of Satan, are you saying that because you haven't had as much success that you're doing it by the power of God? Is Satan stronger than God? That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is making this claim. That he is the Messiah. He has the authority to usher in the kingdom. And in a sense, his very presence is the kingdom. And we know that when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, the kingdom was initiated, a mystery form of the kingdom. We won't see the kingdom in all of its glory and fulfillment until Jesus Christ comes back and actually reigns here on earth on David's throne. But one thing is sure. Jesus is the victor. In fact he says that in verse 29. How can anyone enter the strong man's house? In this little illustration Satan. How can anyone enter Satan's house? And carry off his property. Unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. And Jesus is simply saying, I've already won this battle. Now as Christians, we know that we have got to be very careful walking through this life. Because we are in a spiritual battle. The New Testament is clear that we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 says this. Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
And Satan and his forces are protagonists with fiery darts wanting to bring Christians down in the name of Jesus Christ down. And we've got to be aware that we are not just walking through earth, living life as if it's just all under our control. Because it's not. We are in a spiritual battle. But not a battle that's to be feared. Because Jesus has already won it. Clear back in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15. We read these kind of cryptic words. Until we see all of scripture unfold. God Speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. And by that saying that one day Messiah will deal a fatal blow to Satan. Satan will get him his licks. But his end is sure. We see it in Revelation chapter 20 verse 2. We alluded to that earlier. Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 says, and he, I'll start in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss. And shut it and sealed it over him so that he would no longer deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. And Satan will be released for a short time. He will lead one last charge against Jesus Christ and then will be defeated forever. In fact verse 10 of Revelation 20 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. His end is already sure. When I was a kid, uh, we used to do, we used to dress chickens, not put little hats on chickens. We'd butcher chickens. And most of the time we did that at my grandparents' farm. And every family has a different way of doing this. But in the Benton family, what we did is we'd get a row of chickens and we would tie them by their feet to the clothesline. And just have a row of them. And then you'd just take a butcher knife and you'd start on this side and go whack, 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 whack all the way down. I wanted the turn. And so I thought, hey, can I do it? And so my grandfather said, sure, just stretch his neck out. And unfortunately, I got the butcher knife kind of caught on a bone. And when that chicken is decapitated, it likes to make itself look like it's really scary. And I was, I was kind of young, and I was just getting blood thrown all over me. I had blood from head to toe. And it was a little scary because this chicken is just like, I think if, you know, it's attacking me or something. It just, they look really scary, but there's a problem. Mr. Chicken, you have no head. 
And that's what it really is with Satan. Mr. Satan, you have no head. You're, you're making a lot of noise right now. You're flapping your wings. You can cause some grief. But in reality, your head has already been removed. Because your end is sure. And as Christians, we do not have to fear him. But at the same time, we should not be ignorant of his schemes. Jesus Christ here is showing he has the authority of Messiah. He has authority to offer the kingdom. Israel as a nation has rejected it. But but Jesus said, when I'm here, the kingdom has already been inaugurated. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that when we put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, we're transferred from the kingdom of this dark place to God's kingdom. We are kingdom people. And one day, Jesus Christ is going to return and set up this long promised kingdom. Am I ready? If a person has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, the answer to that question is no. To prepare for the kingdom, the first step is for a person to put their trust in Jesus Christ, believing that he is God who died on the cross to pay for our sin and rose again from the dead. And at the moment we transfer the dependence of our life from ourself, thinking I can be a good enough person to have merit with God and put my dependence on the person of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he died for my sin and rose and then rose again from the dead. At that moment, I become a kingdom person. I become a Christian. And if you've not done that, I want to encourage you. We have material we'd love to put in your hand right at the end of this service. One of our leaders will be back in the prayer room And we have a little book. You can just say, hey, can I have that little book that Pastor Steve was talking about? You can take that. Look up from your own Bible passages of Scripture that show you how you can know for sure that you're right with God. Many of us here this morning know that we are kingdom people. We've put our trust in Christ. How do I prepare for the kingdom? The Apostle Paul tells us in Titus 2. And I'm going to read those verses. Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. Father we thank you for these verses. And the reminder in them. That Jesus is Messiah. That this book is your book. That our hope in him is sure. That he has already defeated Satan. And that just waits the final sentence. Help us this week to find encouragement in the person of Jesus Christ.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.